1: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And this week, I'm afraid Mr. Morris is out gallivanting around Barcelona at Mobile World Congress. Um, But taking up, or picking up rather, the slack from Los Angeles, it's Daily Tech News Shows. Tom Merritt. Tom, welcome.
0: Thank you. Uh, It's good to be here. I have almost the same letters in my last name as Ian,
1: so I feel like I can do a, a fair job of filling in for him. No one could replace him, though. And thank you, obviously, to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free versions, our extended weekly edition, uh, live streaming, and access to our Discord members club, which is live right now, um, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and find out how you can support us with no commitment. And thank you very much to Mike Akins, if I'm pronouncing your surname correctly, who is our most recent pleasure. Um, so it's great to have you with us, Mike. Um, Now, in in case anybody missed this, by the way, I just thought I'd throw this out there. I was on ITVs this morning uh, earlier this week with Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby to talk about whether our home devices are spying on us. And I'd said up front to the producers of the show that the answer was no. And they sort of said, well, that won't fill a seven minute segment um so there's about seven minutes of me defending uh, our home devices and i'll we'll have a link to the catch-up version at techpodcast.uk uh, or you check out the twitter uh, text message pod there's a link there or if you're a patron actually in our discord one of our friends in there john evans has dvr'd it and shared a link in dropbox well we're going to start by talking about a couple of things that are coming out of mobile world congress quite literally as we speak. Um, And we're gonna start by talking about the Samsung Galaxy S9. The event is happening right now. Um, We've got some highlights of this and I actually went to see this phone ahead of time um, in the week. It's the new flagship from Samsung, of course. And the key thing that the company is trying to promote this time around is photography. So you can kind of get the mental image of what this phone is like. It's a 5.8 inch slab of lovely glass and I think aluminium actually, I can't remember what it was, The one I held was a rather dashing purple, though, so whatever it's made of, it looks very nice. Um, But one of the key things that the company's done with this phone is, firstly, it's got two cameras on the back on the S9 Plus model. One of them's a telephoto, one of them's a wide-angle. But in both models, it's got a f1.5 aperture, which is a very, very wide aperture, lets a hell of a lot of light in, and the key is that it'll be much better with low-light which is something that a lot of phones do struggle with because of the small size of their sensors. So before we go any further, Tom, I'm just curious to get your views on whether you think phones currently do a decent enough job in low light.
0: I, I am not a big photography buff, uh, so I, I'm, I'm usually the wrong person to ask about this. But in in the little bit of photography that I I take with phones, uh, I do run into the low light problem less than I used to. Uh, so so being the the everyman, not the photo enthusiast, I think they're fine. Uh, yeah, and and I think the concentration on photography as a differentiating factor, which you see more than just Samsung doing, shows that we we have really commodified phones to this point, and. That is one of the areas that the manufacturers feel like, oh, we can still make a difference. We can still try to say that ours is
1: better than yours because otherwise they're all black slabs, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this—I mean, I had a demo of this in in person earlier in the week, and it was—I mean, it was a controlled demo because obviously Samsung wants to make sure that it's being seen in its best light (pun sort of intended). Um, and the demo that they showed—it was sort of like a, a boxed room. It was sort of very, very dark in the room, and they they'd put a, a Google Pixel Two on the right, poking through a little a little hole and the Samsung S9 Plus on, on the left. And they had kind of a scene in there. I forget exactly what it was, but, you know, it was just some sort of demo scene, something to with a bit of color in. I think it might have been like a little... Um, a piece of artwork or or something. Mm. And it's impossible, at the time it was impossible for me to not think that the picture on the S9 Plus looked about twice as bright as the one on the Google Pixel 2. Uh, Honestly, it it was quite stark and the colours were much stronger, the level of noise was very low um, because one of the things the camera does is it takes 12 images at the same time, then it merges them into three sub-images, each comprised of four images, exposures and then it combines those three into the final exposure and throughout that process what it's doing is it's looking at every pixel and it's trying to work out which bits are different i.e noise or some sort of distortion and then replacing that pixel with a pixel that is more consistent through the other pictures so the end of it you actually get a very low noise image uh, and very very sharp even in very low light and That, to me, is an extremely well-executed feature because it is definitely better than the Pixel, which is one of the best low-light performing cameras, I think, on the market. Um, So that's definitely one that... I'm going to be excited to try in non-controlled experiments, but certainly ahead of time. It looked very, very promising indeed. Um, The other feature that the S9 has got is the 3D emojis. This was somewhat predictable. Um, It's a 3D emoji on the screen that animates with your face and your facial features as you move. But the difference between what Samsung's doing is that Samsung is allowing you to take a selfie of yourself and then the software creates an avatar that looks quite close to you and then mm. allows you to animate that. And then you can use that to send reaction shots or videos and gifts and things to your friends. So it's it's on the face of it, it's it looks like it starts as a copy of Apple's and then has finished at being something that's built on it and is actually, if anything, more exciting and more fun. I've not used the Animoji since the time I was reviewing the iPhone X, but I could see myself using this. Um, but I don't know how much people are actually craving this sort of thing, or is it a gimmick? Do you send any? You've got an iPhone X, haven't you, Tom?
0: Yeah, I, I I haven't sent any since I first got it, uh, just to try out the the system. Maybe I've sent one since then, but it's not it's not something I receive or send. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not the right market. Uh, maybe you know other people, younger or in different situations, send them all the time. Uh, and certainly, I'm not going to rip into samsung for uh stealing a page out of someone else's playbook since apple does that all the time and honestly that's how it works you know somebody does something you feel like you perfect it and do a little do it a little bit better and that's what samsung is doing here this does just feel like the kind of thing that looks great on a demo and makes somebody excited but probably won't make a lot of difference in your daily use of the phone
1: yeah yeah well, the other, other feature that it has in terms of photography uh, is a super slow-motion video capture. It captures videos at 720p, but at 960 frames a second. Um, for comparison, the iPhone X and the iPhone 8 will capture up to 240 frames a second at, I believe, 1080p. So Samsung's doing one further. Again, in the demo that I had, and they, they did two demos, one of a water balloon bursting and one where they actually put me in a little compartment and fired a confetti cannon at my face... Um, videos of which I've got and we'll be putting on the show notes at uh, techpodcast.uk and in the in the discord later um, but but it works very well it looks very very good the again this is another one of those things that looks very good in a controlled environment but one of the things I noticed about the demo samsung had is that the lighting was extremely bright on these scenes um, and the speed that the the Uh, image sensor has to run at to capture something in slow motion means that it lets you know very 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 little light in on each of those frames so it needs to be extraordinarily well lit i'm going to be very curious to see how this 960 frames shot works in average light i think in very good light and a sunny day it'll be fine but on average light i wonder if it'll perform quite as impressively but that's a feature that i could see a lot of people having quite a lot of fun with um certainly the youtubers will will go to town with this um yeah absolutely we don't want to go over recapping specs because, frankly, you can see all that on the website or uh, on the many, many YouTube videos out there. So we're going to cut. Also, everything about the
0: Galaxy phone leaked beforehand, including the the video from the presentation. So you know, you probably already know the specs. Frankly,
1: yeah, exactly. And you know, I was trying to think about what we, you know, how to conclude something like this, and essentially you know this is the phone this is Samsung's not necessarily answer to the iPhone 10 but it's certainly the one the iPhone 10 is going to be most closely compared to and as an upgrade as upgrades go jumping from the iPhone 7 or the iPhone 8 to the iPhone 10 there's a very very significant noticeable aesthetic difference between those models you really feel like you've taken a step up even if not in terms of performance but in terms of visual design size screen quality things like that with the Samsung S9 it's a beautiful phone it's absolutely gorgeous I loved seeing it. The display, as all Samsung's displays are, are so vibrant and so crisp and so beautiful. It doesn't have a notch either on the screen, but the bezels have been shrunk a bit since the last model. But, you know, side by side, I don't feel that you would get the sense that you'd really upgraded from the S8 to the S9, even though the specs are higher and, and what have you. So I think I think Samsung's gonna have a not necessarily a tough job selling it, but a harder job than I think Apple has with the 10 at getting existing customers to move, particularly since people are keeping hold of their phones for a lot longer now.
0: Yeah, all the developed markets are saturated, uh, and this kind of high-end phone isn't usually the one that makes the moves in the developing markets, uh, like Africa and India even. So I I think the one spec that I would like to ask, since you've actually had your hands on it, that could make a difference is, you mentioned there's no notch. One of the justifications Apple gives for the notch is, well, this makes Face ID work so well. How does the facial recognition work on the Galaxy S9?
1: Do you know? I do. And actually, that's a really good question because I meant to talk about that and forgot. Um, so... It basically Samsung hasn't moved away from fingerprint sensors. This is something that the company companies believe to have wanted to do for some time and actually bed the fingerprint sensor within the screen itself. Um but they haven't. Instead they've relocated it to the back of the phone, so it's still a fingerprint sensor. It's just below the camera lenses. On the front, you still have an iris scanner and a kind of basic facial recognition that does allow you to unlock the phone with your face, but it doesn't seem to be technically as advanced as apple's face id it's not it's not producing you know that kind of 3d map of all mm. your, your face and your contours to the point that it makes fingerprint security irrelevant i think the fact that samsung's including the fingerprint sensor it'll say it's for user choice but it's also to my eyes an acknowledgement that the facial identification tech isn't quite as as reliable necessarily um, i'm sure samsung would argue that but if it's that good why include the fingerprint sensor
0: yeah, I feel like this is kind of uh, the differentiating factor. I mean, granted, if you're into photo or, or video, I think I think Nate's made a good case of, of why these are great features of the Galaxy S9. Uh, but for day-to-day use, do you want your fingerprint sensor on the back or not at all? <laughs> do, you, do you want good facial recognition but a notch or no notch? Okay, facial recognition.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, definitely. I think with the with the S nine, it's it's hard not to be impressed by the screen. You know, the the S nine plus is a six point two inch screen. It's got a five hundred and seventy PPI display. It's insanely sharp. It is gorgeous and you know like the the sa the galaxy edge models you know this it it extends right to the edge of the phone they've shrunk the bezel at the top and bottom so they've extended it a bit on either side to make those bezels as small as possible but there are still bezels and they are larger than the ones on the iphone 10 but you're not getting a notch so there's definitely a trade-off here but i think for a lot of people it's not so much about ditching the iphone 8 or something to get this it's about ditching the S8 to get this and, and similar in the Apple world I think um, so we'll see that's that's going to conclude sort of our hands on if anyone has any questions feel free to send them in hello at techpodcast.uk or tweet them to us on at text message pod we'll have a review no doubt down the line and certainly that slow-mo and that low-light photography is going to be hot on my list of uh, of things to test When it comes to testing wireless technologies, Tom, as we know very well, the lab is no comparison to a real-world venue with people, weather, buildings, large dogs, horses, whatever, and other variables to contend with, which is why O2 is going to be using its arena, the O2 Arena here in London, as a test bed for 5G. Now, this is according to Gizmodo, who wrote this up this week. And the idea is that people are going to be able to go to the O2 Arena and try 5G for themselves. Construction of the network is set to begin next month, and the goal is to have it available for public use in the second half of this year. 5G is only going to be initially available in selected areas of the arena, but the plans are to place um, to basically to cover the entire building by 2020. Demonstrations are going to include augmented and virtual reality plus live streaming. And then down the line, there are plans to implement other test areas across the UK. Um, is this a publicity stunt, I wonder, or a genuine <laughs> test? This is what's I mean- hard to say.
0: I'm curious. O2 doesn't own the arena. They just sponsor the arena. Is is That's that right? right or That's right. Okay. Yeah. It's what was so,
1: the Millennium the, Dome and then and then it yeah. the, the rights to name it was was passed over. This is cute. Uh <laughs> I I like
0: I I I don't want to mock it too much uh, because it is a, a legitimate test bed I'm sure. But what's happening with Chinese ISPs with Korean ISPs with US ISPs is they're announcing we'll be rolling out 5G service to these following cities with the plan to cover more cities and more of the country by 2020. And I think it's quite telling that O2 is saying, we're rolling out 5G in a stadium, and we hope to have the whole stadium covered by 2020.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is not a million miles away from some things that we've seen coming out of the US. And I thought it'd be useful with you being on the show to just remind us, what are we, uh, are we, do you think this kind of move is Behind the US, are we ahead of the US test? Like I know you, you guys have a bit of a history with some of the networks, sort of rolling out supposed advanced networks under the like the four G name that really was just three G on steroids. Is the same thing happening there with five G? Oh yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. Um, in fact, Nokia even uh, at Mobile World Congress said that they are surprised how advanced the five G rollout is happening not just in the United States but in in China Korea Japan and they're optimistic that the drought that they have had as a switchmaker which is also one felt by Huawei and Cisco and others uh, is a is going to turn around faster than they expected uh, at and t is going to have service in three cities soon. And by the end of the year, they hope to have even more than just those three cities in the U.S. Uh, we're definitely seeing T-Mobile and Verizon ready to provide service in 2019. Uh, in all of these regions, we are expecting 5G service to be available in places ahead of devices. Uh, some of it is fixed, which is meant to actually deliver it to your home. Uh, some of it is mobile. Uh, and th- those devices will start to trickle out by the end of the year, probably here of a few of them at Mobile World Congress, but most of them really won't hit the market until 2019.
1: It does seem that Europe,
0: uh, in general, is lagging behind in that rollout.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it does sound like the US is is, is ahead. Then, I mean, if if AT T is going to be offering it fixed and mobile 5G by the end of this year, you know, we're I don't think we're in a position where we're going to be doing that. We're still going to be in the in the in the testing element. And Verizon, if I'm not mistaken, is is, has already been testing this in some cities already.
0: Uh, yeah, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile are all testing uh, yeah. and, and they have been for a while. It's But it's actual. we're actually getting actual service rollouts that the public will be able to subscribe to.
1: I see, great. Well, any thoughts on this? Hello at techpodcast.uk. Um, my one thought on this is that testing something even in a stadium, 5G specifically, is not necessarily going to show the customer anything different to what they can do now because the real benefit of 5g is going to be around the internet of things it's going to be around car to car systems as well yes it'll be fast but i think in a demonstration environment people are going to think well can't we do augmented reality now are they going to have numbers on a screen like i mean i remember being at mobile world congress one year a few years ago and qualcomm was showing the speed of its new 4g lte modem and it had literally got a mobile base station on its demo room floor and a big screen that just showed the megabits per second that the thing was receiving it at and with some tv uh 4k video streams as the the data that was being passed down the demo and i was standing there thinking well that's great for me as a massive nerd at a trade show to see that i find that very exciting but for somebody going to the o2 arena you know the average person in the street are they are they going to give a damn don't know I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out. You know,
0: there's there, there's those demo tricks that they can do, right? Uh, they can they could show a crystal clear streaming sports video to the sports fans and say, "This is 5G." Does it look like this on your phone? I bet it doesn't. Uh, and and maybe have a device that's that's 4G that's downloading something and another one that's that's 5G and show how how much faster it downloads stuff like that. Um, like you say, augmented reality is is always uh, an eye popper. And because it's uh, maybe a less tech-aware crowd, they'll think, wow, this is something you could only do with 5G, even though we know you can do it with 4G.
1: Well, the story that Tom flagged very uh, uh, helpfully this week is that Britain's adoption of Huawei technology is widening the gulf between the U.S., and allies over cybersecurity, according to the Wall Street Journal. Theresa May met Huawei chairwoman um, in Beijing this month, and a few days later, the company announced that it would be investing £3 billion in the UK over the next five years, again, according to the Journal. However, across the pond in the States, Washington cranking up pressure on the Chinese company because officials in the States uh, view it as a potential tool for state-sponsored spying. There was a 2012 US congressional report that labelled Huawei as a national security threat and said that the equipment could allow China to spy or disable telecommunications networks. Naturally, Huawei spokesman told the Journal that the company is employee-owned and no government has ever asked it to spy on another country. Whereas here... They've been providing us with telecoms equipment, such as to BT, since about 2005. So we're not exactly as fearful. Um, Tom, you wanted to raise this, and I think it's a very interesting story. And in fact, it's one of the great reasons to have you on the show to help us dissect this. Why is, this, why is Huawei such a big deal to the US government as a, as a well, source of fear?
0: Yeah, there, there are several theories on this. Uh, some of them uh, are the public reasons given. Uh, the fact that uh, high executives at Huawei are former army members and therefore probably have connections, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, just the idea that Huawei is located in China is sometimes enough for people, although Lenovo is located in China. Foxconn has their manufacturers in China. Foxconn makes Apple products and, and all these sorts of things. So just being in China alone isn't enough to have the U.S. government turn against all devices. I think the other theory that's worth considering that's floated out there is that Huawei and ZTE both are threats to U.S. businesses. Uh, particularly, Huawei is a threat to Cisco's business as a switchmaker. And there is a a hint of protectionism uh, around this to say, well, we can't necessarily block the products directly. We, we don't have the, the political firepower to make that stick, but we can dissuade people. We can order the government not to buy them, and we can use these somewhat insubstantial and vague fears of security as a justification for that. Uh, those people who think there is legitimate justification for that point to the UK and Europe and say, you... Are going to regret this. Uh, you, you, working with them is a mistake. But Ofcom seems to be satisfied that these devices don't have backdoors and and such. And certainly, uh, companies like Cisco are not blameless. Uh, Cisco routers, not with Cisco's knowledge necessarily, were used by intelligence agencies in the U.S. Uh, as as ways to to go into networks and and trap data. Uh, that's that's been shown in some leaks before. So. I I don't know exactly. I'm very curious why the U.S. is so consistently anti-Huawei and ZTE over so many years. I think there really is more to this story.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, to put this into context, Huawei is one of the biggest manufacturers now of telecom equipment. I mean, it's the third largest smartphone company in the world now in terms of units after uh, Samsung and Apple. And there is no company, not even Ericsson anymore, that makes more from the telecom's equipment. So by being so big, they're also going to be able to bring down their costs, which would make the you know, countries that don't want to use it have to pay more for the same stuff potentially from a smaller company. And that's not necessarily good for the economy. So it will have knock-on effects potentially, I think. Or am I making a much bigger deal out of this, Tom?
0: Well, it's certainly going to slow down Huawei's worldwide growth. Uh, there's plenty of places for them to grow. Africa, India, uh, Southeast Asia... Uh, even Russia uh, is a is a good market for them. So it's it's not gonna torpedo Huawei. Uh, it's really a fight over that U.S. market. And that's what makes it so odd is this and, and I should point out John in the Discord said, you know, well I this is current administration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This predates the current administration. This is driven by the intelligence agencies in the US, as Nate mentioned, going all the way back to 2012. So there's there's a longer term fight against Huawei and ZTE that either has to do with something they discovered about how these devices work in, in the in the process of gathering intelligence or has some other purpose like a trade interest or, or something like that.
1: Yeah. Well, anyone who has thoughts or insights on this, uh, do let us know. I know we have quite a lot of people who listen who are working in the telecoms sector. Um, let us know any thoughts you have. It'd be great. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Well, NatWest has begun testing an artificial intelligence-powered digital human to help customers with basic banking questions, raising the possibility of further job cuts at our state-controlled bank, according to The Telegraph this week. The assistant is going to be named Cora, and can answer over 200 basic banking queries, including how do I log into online banking and how do I apply for a mortgage? Customers then will have a two-way verbal conversation with Cora through a computer screen, tablet, or mobile phone, according to the Telegraph. Personally, I've never liked these systems because it reminds me too much of those phone menu tree systems where it's like, press 1 for this press two for such and such press three for this did you know you can also do this on our website and i'm thinking yes i did no but there was a problem (laughs) that's why i'm calling why am i having to go through this tedious menu and so these voice controlled systems i just feel are an evolution of that and are going to be more annoying and frustrating than even things like self-service checkouts which at least has a visual component to help you in the in the, the difficult moments when it's not doing what you thought it was. Um, what's your view on these, Tom? And and do these kind of AI customer service bots, are they prevalent in the States right now? Do you use them regularly at all? I, I don't. Uh, I,
0: I don't even know if they're offered, to be honest. They may be. I, I'm i like you. I, I generally am pretty good at, at finding my own answers, and so if I can't, I definitely need to talk to a person and and those menus never work for me. The ones that really get me is when your internet is out and you call and they say, you can go to our website. I'm like, no, I can't, my internet's out. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm calling. Uh, they do get really frustrating. I think these are an improvement on that uh, because there is a little more semantic understanding, a little natural language processing going on. I think for a lot of people, these will in fact help uh, because they'll be able to just say their problem in natural language, which is easier than having to decide, well, which of these four categories does my problem fall into? And half the time, I think those menu systems are just delay tactics because they always seem to ask me for the same information again once I actually get to talking to someone at the other end. So um, if, if, if they help uh, answer more questions for people faster, that's great. I, I like you, don't think they're going to work that well for me.
1: Yeah. And we're going to see a lot more of this as well in banks. I remember about a year or so ago I wrote um a feature for for Bloomberg um about how companies were trying to move away from from passwords. And you know, it's it's a, an old story in, in a sense, but the demise of the password has been predicted for basically 20-odd years now, maybe longer, and never happened. But now with biometrics um, being so affordable to put in devices, we're starting to see a shift. Um, and one of the alternatives that some banks are using is, um, is vocal identification for security. So instead of calling up and having to say, I am you know, answer a whole load of questions, type in your number on the keypad after going through a menu tree, you can call up and the system will recognize your vocal pattern and pass you straight to the most relevant person for your call, which would speed up the process of getting through to somebody and also cut down on waiting times, which makes everybody happier. And I feel that that's really where the effort should be going in terms of phone, like vocal based uh technology not necessarily trying to give you more menu trees to run through and and having to repeat something uh over and over again there's a, a great tv series over here uh, tom i don't know if you've ever seen it alan partridge i've heard of it i haven't watched it though oh you're a anglophile you would love alan partridge you should definitely <laughs> check some of it out um, but in one of his episodes of a show called mid-morning matters there's a cutaway scene where He's on a phone to clearly a cinema booking line and you hear him sort of say, um, I can't remember what he says exactly, but he, he gets to the point where the system is obviously asking him to read out the film he wants. And you can hear him on the phone going, Inception, and there's a pause, Inception. And he sort of has to say it about five or six times until it obviously recognises what he's trying to say. And I just thought, you know what? That's the way we're heading, isn't it? It's all going to be like that, and it's going to be incredibly annoying. So, well, But
0: don't you think that voice recognition has gotten past that? I mean, for the it, natural language processing is like that now. But just understanding what I say, uh, for most people, now there, there are problems depending on your accent or, or language that you speak, uh, but more, I'm more often impressed that I am recognized accurately by voice recognition than I used to be.
1: It's definitely more accurate. Definitely. Um, I don't have a massive fear about it not knowing what I'm saying. The fear is really more that it's going to cut down on the speed at which I can speak to a human being. And I, I mean, maybe this is something that affects me more being a massive nerd and feeling I think like, it does. I think I think know, we
0: are probably most of the people in the audience are going to be negatively affected by these things, or at least neutrally affected. Uh, But you'd be surprised. I mean, talk to somebody who's worked in customer service. The questions that we think are obvious and easily found without calling
1: are the ones they get the most of. Well, maybe that's something that people listening, if you're work, if you're working in customer service or, or have done, uh, maybe you can give us some feedback. I, I am beginning to think, as we've been talking, that yeah, maybe this is something that to the hyper nerds who can call up and just read out the exact nature of the problem, what you think it is, and what you think they need to do. Like going through these menu trees is probably a, a massive pain, um, but. Maybe for the average person in the street, this is actually a really good idea. Maybe it can speed things up. If it keeps them from taking
0: up the time of the actual human beings, that means
1: we get to them faster. Well, any thoughts on that or indeed anything else we talked about, very welcome at hello at techpodcast.uk. We had one message come in this week uh, from Jacob, uh, who we actually referenced on last week 's show as uh, someone doing in- interesting things with tech in uh, in his ministry he 's a um, he 's a pastor, but he but he wrote in because last week we we were talking about bitcoin and i 'd got confused over the term HODL and I thought. That Jacob had uh, had mistyped the word "hold," i.e., you know, to hold a stock in case it becomes more valuable, uh, and he wrote in to explain a little bit more for us. Huddle is an acronym for "hold on for dear life." and as ian pointed out is a camp within the crypto community that will hold on to their cri- their currency regardless of the volatility of the market most of these people have adopted the belief that cryptos will one day replace standard currencies i personally think that there will always be a place for the dollar pound etc and so if any of the currencies i hold become valuable i would probably convert to a standard currency thank you for clearing that up this was an aspect of cryptocurrency that i had absolutely no idea about despite writing about cryptocurrency fairly regularly in my day job. Um do you hold any cryptos, Tom? I
0: have a few bitcoins that I got in the very earliest days when they were essentially free. Uh and I hodl them apparently because <laughs> uh not because I believe that they will replace currencies, but I I'm waiting to see if the market ever stabilizes. Uh, and then if it ever does then i'll have them and maybe they'll be worth something but i i don't want to sell them at a high only to find out that that was like a tenth of the value they they would ever become and i i didn't invest anything in them cuz i got them so early so i i just ho- hodle them
1: yeah i remember there was um i think we talked about this possibly last last week but the the gentleman who sold 10,000 bitcoin in exchange for two pizzas um Back in the very early days and when it was worth, that was worth about $40, um, whereas in December it would have been worth about $200 million, which he could have bought oh. 10% of the pizza company itself, Papa John's. At, and at then ate pizza for life. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you to everybody for supporting us. Now, normally at this point we hand over to Tom Merritt of Daily Tech News Show to tell us what's been going on in the wider world of tech.
0: Thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talked about the coming information apocalypse and how we might avoid the tyranny of the bots, debated whether academics should have the right to circumvent copyright to study old online games, discussed the coming trend of always-connected laptops, and our roundtable show touched on big data, media overload, and whether crowdfunding is hurting or helping innovation. All that and
1: much more at dailytechnewsshow.com It's brilliant because we didn't actually plan for Tom to jump in and read his <laughs> actual script for the promo My guess is that in post in yeah. yeah, I thought I was going to edit it in as a bit of fun but you've just outdone even that That's brilliant uh, the, the, the Discord's going a bit crazy saying it's it's giving them goosebumps yeah it's great um yeah so do do check out this week it's been uh it's been a lot of fun i'm all caught up which means i have nothing to listen to on my flight on monday sad face
0: yeah i won't be able to listen to this on my run later today which is usually my
1: my habit so mm. yeah <laughs> Never mind. Um, Next week. um, Well, actually, speaking of next week and indeed the week after, um, I'm going to be in Japan. I'm technically going to be on my honeymoon um, because we had what we called a mini moon straight after our wedding in October, uh, where we basically just sat and drank wine and whiskey in a hot tub. Um, And because we we didn't much fancy the 13 hour flight to Japan. Uh, But we are doing that now. So we're going to be away for a couple of weeks. We do have plans in place for the podcast. Um, It'll be one of two plans, depending on how time works. Works out. Um, But either way, it's going to be a little different for a couple of weeks. And certainly, any of our patrons won't be billed for either of those two episodes, whatever we manage to do, um, because they're going to be a bit different and and possibly a little bit more fun. We'll see. Um, But do look out for something on your feed over the next couple of weeks. And we will look forward to being back in mid March with a regular episode. Tom, thank you so much for being here. It's been a great pleasure. And thanks for stepping in also at the last minute, because it it was only at the last minute that I realized Ian wasn't going to be here. No, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having
0: me on. Uh, I always talk back to the show when I listen to it. So it's nice to actually be
1: on it and have you hear me. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, for anybody who is just desperate still to get their weekly dose of Ian, um, you should go and check out his Forbes page because he's out at Mobile World Congress and will be covering uh, some of his favorite things from out there. Uh, the link to that, of course, will be in the show notes. Thanks again, and we will see you in a couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you from the land, the rising sun. Hey, it's Paige
0: DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.